Seth Wickersham, you spent a large part of the spring and summer profiling Los Angeles Rams Super Bowl winning coach Sean McVay. You hung out at his office. You went to his house a few times. You visited his parents. So I'm curious, why do you think he chose to let you into his life? Um, it's a good question. I think because I asked. <laughs> and I think that I understood something about him that I think that he wanted to try to figure out. Or should I say, I wanted to understand something about him that he was also trying to figure out. Mm. And that was that how, at age 36, he had accomplished a resume that, you know, puts him on a track to one day being the greatest ever, but also haunted by the game and tortured by it in a way that might end up, frankly, destroying him. <laughs> um, that's how it feels for him. And I think that as the season went on last year, even as they made it into the Super Bowl, there was rumors about him possibly leaving to go to broadcasting. And I was thinking to myself, like, how did a guy at age 36 almost burn himself out? And I think that he was wondering the exact same thing and trying to figure out a way to make this job and this life more sustainable. These are fascinating issues and really complex and deep, and we're going to get into all of it. But as you're profiling him, you get access to him. And if this is all going on internally, I'm just curious, paint the scene for me. Like when you show up at his house in LA, what's the energy like at the McVeigh household these days? That's a great energy. You know, he had two of them. So he had his old house, which was overlooked the San Fernando Valley. It was a beautiful house. And he moved out of it a couple of months after winning the Super Bowl. And I happened to get with him on his first day at his new house, which is in Hidden Hills, California, surrounded by celebrities, right? The Jenners, the Kardashians, Drake. And the house was empty. Um, there was barely any furniture in there. When I would have conversation with him or his wife, Veronica, you could hear it echoing throughout the house. Wow. And at one point, we sat outside um, he had a patio and there was an NBA basketball game on. And he kind of looked out and he was like, I, I can't believe I live here. What he had built and what he has accomplished in such a short time as a head coach in the NFL is so big in a weird way. It's almost too much for him to comprehend at times. We would have a lot of conversations where he would talk about the mental mind of the game that he can't distance himself from. And those were his quotes. And he would say, you know, I always wanted to be the youngest coach to win a Super Bowl, but there's no way I'm going to be doing this forever. And then afterwards, later on, he would say, you know, I'm going to be sitting here when I'm 60 and you're going to be saying, how the f are you still coaching? And I think that the thing that interested me the most was that here was a man who was clearly at war with himself. And the question wasn't just whether he could be happy coaching or whether this was sustainable. It's whether he can actually be a human being and do this job. For many, becoming an NFL head coach is the career pinnacle. And then it completely takes over your life. The hours, the pressure, the volatility, the responsibility for the jobs and families riding on the team's success. It can be overwhelming, even if you are the boy genius. So today, Seth Wickersham explains how Rams coach Sean McVay 
the youngest coach ever to win a Super Bowl, is now facing questions no 36-year-old has confronted before. What do you do after you've reached the summit at such a young age? Is it possible to have a life outside of football? Or are the demands of the job, the obsessiveness, the anxiety, the adherence to the around-the-clock schedule where you're never fully unplugged, necessary prerequisites for NFL head coaching success? I'm Emily Kaplan, in for Pablo Torre. It's Tuesday, August 9th. This is ESPN Daily. Seth Wickersham, the Los Angeles Rams are the reigning Super Bowl champions. They'll raise their championship banner during the very first game of the season on Thursday Night Football about a month from now. And they went all in last year to do it, tossing away draft picks, building their offense around Matthew Stafford, whom McVay vouched for. This year, they're still very talented and certainly capable of repeating. So what is the mindset of their coach and leader, Sean McVay, heading into this season? I think that it's been an off-season where he's done a lot of self-reflection. If I can take you back, let's go to the morning after the Super Bowl. They just win this game, a game that, you know, that came down to the final seconds. Rings for the Rams! A Lombardi Trophy for Los Angeles on their home field here at SoFi Stadium. The Los Angeles Rams are world champions! McVeigh wakes up in his house and he looks at himself in the mirror and he's running on a couple hours sleep, if that. He feels hungover. And he'd always wondered what this would feel like to be a Super Bowl winning coach and to join that list. So he looks himself in the mirror and what hit him was not a feeling of accomplishment. And what hit him wasn't even a feeling of pride after a couple years ago when they lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots and he was, you know, in a near catatonic state after the game, so much that it worried his family. He felt grateful, and I thought that that was really interesting. He was thinking about just how thin the line was between winning and losing, and how many times throughout the season where the the ball bounced their way a certain way, and in years past, maybe it bounced the other way. How many little things happened along that journey that gave him this win? He thought a lot about Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald and how they came through in these high leverage situations and how much his life was going to benefit from their performance. And I think that he felt very humble and very grateful um, the morning after the game. And I think that that surprised him in a sense. He truly didn't know how he was going to feel. And so I think that the reflection that he felt at that moment kind of carried over into the season. He's always felt tormented. He, he told me that, you know, he has this intrinsic motivation to the point where he's sick. And he even kind of doesn't know what to do with that, that thing in him. He, he talks about how he didn't make a choice to be this driven. It, it was something that he was kind of born with. And so I think the offseason for him was one of reflection. And then as the offseason started to come to a close and the season started to start, he kind of started to feel those motivations again, got his proverbial game face on, as they would say. And I think he changed a little bit where the reflection ended 
and the ruthlessness of the season and the fact that last year has nothing to do with this year started to kick in. So in your reporting, you were able to interview McVeigh's family. Has he always been this way? He's always been this way. Tim and Cindy are his parents, and um, they're they're really lovely people. And we went out to dinner in Atlanta where where Sean spent, you know, a lot of his life and where his family still lives. And we were talking about, again, that intrinsic drive and motivation that he has. And I was trying to get at where it came from. And they kind of laughed. They go back to when he was three years old and he goes to a, a roller skating party and he had never roller skated before. And he gets on the rink and he just takes off and he runs himself into the boards. But when he go, runs himself into the boards, he turns around and he looks and sees where the other kids are. And as soon as he feels that they're gaining on him, he takes off again until he runs into the boards again. And his parents were looking at each other like, oh my gosh, what have we created? But I think what makes his ambition interesting and something that he wrestles with now is that it's not just something he's carried with him since he was a boy. It's a force without a clear destination. It's both toxic at times and it's enriched his life. And it's rooted in trying to be great at a coin flip of a game. And oh my gosh, the ways that that drives people crazy. Well, the McVeigh should know because that coin flip of a game is their family heritage. You know, McVeigh comes from a football family. Tell me about the football roots of the McVeighs. Well, his grandfather, John McVeigh, was a great executive for the five-time champion Super Bowl 49ers in the 80s and the 90s. And he provided the family with a glimpse at what it takes to be great. I mean, he worked with Bill Walsh, who was, you know, so determined to revolutionize the game that it came at the expense of not only his own happiness and sanity, but everybody around him. And when Tim McVeigh, Sean's dad, was looking at what to do for a career, he considered coaching. But in the end of the day, he had kind of seen the cost of the game up close, and he decided to be a television executive instead. Cindy, Sean's mother, said that Tim wanted to be able to raise a family and be around his family. And so... Sean kind of carried all of these impulses into him as he got into sports and decided that he wanted to be have a profession in sports. People always asked him, you know, do you want to be your grandfather or do you want to be your father? And he didn't see the decision as binary at all. He wanted to be both with his own belief, which was kind of admirable and maybe naive, that he might be able to find a way to make a life in pro football sustainable. You know, I find his father's decision so fascinating because the father-son coaching duo is so common in the NFL and really just familial ties are. And when McVeigh broke into professional football in 2008, he had an entry-level gig with John Gruden's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Gruden's obviously part of a famous family. And the Shanahan's also had a really important impact on McVeigh's style of coaching as well. So what impact did these two famous football families, the Gruden's and Shanahan's, have on McVeigh? Well, they had a huge one. You know, he comes out of this football family, his own family, having a sense of maybe what it takes to be a champion, right? And then he goes and gets an entry-level job at John Gruden's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And one of his first meetings, his job is just to draw the circles on the whiteboard for the coaches. And he does it, and Gruden stops him. And he says, your circles are the as f- circles I've seen in my life. And 
that was a little bracing for Sean, but it was also a very clear moment that provided him the knowledge that you have to be as close to perfect as you possibly can in this game. I mean, coaches are are famously maniacal and control freaks and they can't control the one thing that they're paid to control, which is games. And so they kind of control everything else or at least try to and they drive everybody crazy. And it comes down to like even the circles on the whiteboard. And then he goes to Washington a couple years later under Mike and Kyle Shanahan. And he really understood and learned what it took to run a football team. That's what his takeaway from those couple of years. You know, from Mike Shanahan, he learned what it meant truly to have a vision for the entire building and to be a total head coach who's in charge of everything. And then from Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator, you know, he just learned so much about football, about how to create space on offense and exploit it. And, you know, he carried those lessons into him when he became an offensive coordinator for Washington under Jay Groot and John's brother a couple years later. And then he takes all of those lessons when he becomes the youngest head coach in the history of the NFL. So what was that first year like for Sean McVay? It was hard. And when he first got the Rams job, he called his mom and she said, are you ready? And he said, I've been ready my whole life. And you know that sounded really good at the time. But even though he made it look easy, even though he took over a team that had gone 13 years without a winning season and it was in a new market and struggling to appeal to fans there, they go 11-5, and five, lead the league in scoring, they host a playoff game. He made it look so easy. And yet, it was him alone in this in his own kind of private hell. He kind of looks back at that experience like he was a glorified offensive coordinator and not a total head coach. And in a weird way, ignorance was bliss because if he knew of all the headaches that come with the job that he knows about now, kind of get on his nerves now and add to his irritation, he may not have made it. And there was one moment in practice where there was a disagreement on a teaching technique between two of the offensive coaches, between offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur, who's now Green Bay's head coach, and Aaron Cromer, who was the tight ends coach. And McVay kind of walked into it, heard each side, settles the argument and moves on, not really thinking anything of it. And later that day, LaFleur comes into his office and he was so mad that McVay had sided with Cromer. And LaFleur is one of McVeigh's best friends and still is. And LaFleur says to him, you showed me up in front of the players. With all due respect, you should just fire my ass right now. And McVeigh is just feeling like his blood pressure is rising. I mean, the Rams are, are playoff bound. They got all this stuff turned around. They're doing all these great things. And LaFleur is upset about this. And McVeigh goes, you know what? I hate this job. I'm quitting. this shit. I hate myself and I hate that I'm treating you like this. And LaFleur kind of smiles. He says, no, 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 you can't quit. You can't do this. And it was just one of those little moments where McVeigh was starting to realize exactly what it meant to be a head coach and how some of his actions, while kind of innocuous to him, ended up having profound impacts on others. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like such a common thing when people first come into management and they have to manage other people, let alone their best friends. What do you think McVeigh took out of that whole anecdote that you just shared? Well, I think he took two things. One of them was that, you know, when he was an assistant, he used to be that guy to the head coach. He used to be the one 
telling the head coach how wrong he was about everything and how he needed to fix these things. And he realized just how annoying he was <laughs> as an assistant coach, because now as a head coach, everyone was coming to him and, you know, nitpicking every decision that he was making. And I think the second one was that this is going to be harder than he realized. And as he grew as a head coach, he learned to become more than just someone who coordinated the offense and called plays and tried to instill a coacher. He wanted to become a total head coach like Bill Belichick, like Mike Shanahan, but do it in a way that felt authentic to him and to his personality. Coming up, how immediate success may have set Sean McVay up for impossible expectations in Los Angeles. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Seth, hearing all of this, obviously, is difficult and an adjustment and a learning curve. But at the same time, publicly, McVeigh is getting so much positive buzz for his job with the Rams in that first season, especially because, as you said, he was making coaching look easy. So, Seth, it's kind of shocking to hear all of this, maybe if he's joking or not, that he almost like on the verge of quitting. That's how hard it was. Well, he was someone who lived in his own private hell and worked in his own private torment. He's someone who both likes to talk things out, and he also internalizes a ton. And I think that those struggles are some of the things that makes him great as a head coach and make this job at times feel both addictive and completely, you know, unsustainable. Like this year, this past January, the Rams are obviously in the playoffs. The season ends, the regular season ends. Black Monday hits, and all these coaches are getting fired, right? It's the famous Black Monday every year. And Veronica, his then fiance and now wife, says to him, what would you do if you were on one of those teams that wasn't winning and you might get fired? And Sean goes, well, that just wouldn't f***ing happen. You know, why would you think that way? And he knew that it came off as cocky, and that's not necessarily how he meant it. It was more that he's not scared of getting fired. You know, everyone who gets into this profession knows that even the elite coaches end up getting fired at one point or another. It was the losing that would precede it that really, it sounded so daunting that he almost like can't consider it even happening. And like before the Super Bowl, he found himself reconsidering his friend Zach Taylor's career, the coach of the Bengals and his former assistant coach. And he found a new appreciation for him because here was Zach Taylor who had six total wins his first two seasons as a head coach before taking the Bengals to the Super Bowl. And, you know, McVeigh was like, God, that is some real f***ing shit. I've never had to lead in circumstances that were real adversary. And he knew that if the job has been this hard, as he's had a winning season every year, to try to sit through a season like that or a season two like that where he would lose, that's where 
the job starts to feel like something that maybe he might not be able to do. So Zach Taylor and Sean McVay have very different football experiences, even though they're both young and successful, because Zach Taylor, as you said, had to stomach six total wins in his first two years. But when McVay faces Taylor in last year's Super Bowl, it's not his first time there. He had already been in Super Bowl 53 against the New England Patriots, but the Rams lost pretty handily 13-3. to So Seth, you had the chance to ask Sean about how that Super Bowl loss affected him personally. What did he have to say? It's something he talks about as if it were a traumatic event in his life. And frankly, it probably is. After that game, he was with his parents. He was alone and he was with Veronica. And he just kept saying, I can't believe it over and over. He really believed that he had helped and he and his coaches had helped put together a game plan that would beat the mighty New England Patriots. They were in the game until midway through the fourth quarter. And then the Patriots, who knew how to win games like that better than anybody in history, come through and they end up winning it. And afterward, he just seemed despondent. He seemed near catatonic. It was such a a traumatic event, like I said, that to this day, Sean McVay has not watched that game in full. The only game he's coached that he has not watched in full. He's watched little pieces of it here or there, but he's never watched the entire thing. And in the years that followed, I think that both his ego and his insecurity grew, which widened his mood swings. He had always gotten good press, the kind of the boy wonder, the guy who had turned around the Rams, and a lot of people looked at as the next great coach. And now he had lost a Super Bowl. And he did admit that he got reliant on all of the positive press. He told me, I'm at my best when it's not about Sean. And it's been more about me than I'd probably ever like to admit. And I think that he entered the following season, the 2019 season, hell-bent on trying to prove that he could take the next step as a coach. And I think that he lost his way a little bit the next couple of years. Well, losing his way is as a team going 9-7, and seven, which is McVay's worst season as a pro head coach. That's a pretty good season for a lot of people in the league. They'd be pretty happy with it. But he says he's miserable. So I'm curious, what kind of impact did McVay's attitude have on that team those subsequent seasons? I think that it had a big impact. And you know, Sean is at his best when he's around people. Um, one of the reasons why he decided to go into coaching and not scouting was because he liked being around people all day. And scouting is kind of a, a lonely job. But partially because of COVID protocols and partially because of the way that he was reacting to all of this pressure that he was putting on himself, he kind of detached a little bit. And he knew that that wasn't healthy, but it was how he felt like he could just get his mind right. And it wasn't working. And it wasn't working for either him or for the team when he was kind of lost in his own head. So this is affecting his attitude towards the team as a whole, but I'm curious for one specific player, Jared Goff, who McVay had vouched for in the past, How did his relationship with Goff change in those subsequent seasons? Well, there was a lot of strain. And I think that it's something that Sean still feels guilty about to this day because you're right, he did believe in Jared. He helped champion a $134 million contract that they gave to him. But I think that he felt like that the team had gone as far as it could go with Jared. And as Jared struggled, Sean coached him harder. And I think that he hurt Jared's confidence And it's something that McVeigh still feels guilty about to this day because I think he felt like he had the right idea, but it had 
the wrong effect. And so the 2020 season ends and the Rams lose to the Packers in the playoffs. Sean is is not in a good place. He knows that they need to move on from Goff. He's not sure how. Uh, he goes to Cabo San Lucas and you know, the story is famous that he was at the pool and ends up hanging out with Matthew Stafford, who's looking, who's looking for a way out of Detroit. They end up bonding. And I think that McVeigh's mood changed because he felt like that here was a player, a transcendent player that could help him get this thing back on track and help change the team. And he ends up getting on FaceTime with Rams Brass and he unleashes a plea that's now kind of legendary around the office. And Sean says, here's the f***ing deal, okay? We can sit here and exist and be okay winning 9 to 11 games and losing in the f***ing divisional round and feel like, oh, everything's okay. Or we could let our mother f***ing nuts hang and go trade for this f***ing quarterback and give ourselves a chance to go win a f***ing world championship. Are you ready to f***ing do this or what? A couple days later, Stafford is a Ram. So how is his relationship with Matthew Stafford different than it was with Jared Goff? Well, I think they're friends and they look at each other a little bit like peers. And so Stafford comes into L.A. He's looking for to take the final steps in his career after putting up big numbers but having a lot of losing seasons in Detroit and not coming anywhere close to a Super Bowl. McVeigh is looking at Matthew like a huge missing piece. And the team starts 7-1 and one this past year. Everything was going great. And then November comes. They lose all three games in November. The first time in McVeigh's career that he had ever lost three straight. Stafford wasn't playing as well. McVeigh wasn't calling his offense as well. And McVeigh starts to go down that familiar dark path. And I talked to him about it. And he said, it was just a f***ing joke how pissed I was. And how I can't even articulate the disgust, the sickness, the constant pit in your gut. You have to fight what you're feeling. You have to get up and lead and really authentically be able to demonstrate the strength that I think is a responsibility and a necessity for a good leader while not minimizing that I'm a human being too and I f***ing hate this sh-. So McVeigh didn't want his mood to affect the entire building and he started to retreat to his own office more. And it created a void. The team didn't crack. You know, cornerback Jalen Ramsey's leadership really helped, but it was in danger of it. And the team needed more of McVeigh at a time when he felt like he was just barely hanging on. And there was very few people, even in the Rams building, even as approachable as Sean is, who could tell him this. And one of them is Raheem Morris, his defensive coordinator, and they've been friends for a long time, best friends. And Raheem comes to him and says, are you all right? And of course, McVeigh knows the answer. And Morris knows the answer that Sean absolutely is not all right. And Morris reminds Sean that he gets so lost inside his own head that he can alienate himself at times. McVeigh says, do you think anybody else knows? Morris says, absolutely. Sometimes people need you. Sometimes when your voice is around, you give people comfort. You make them feel better. You make them go want to play. And I think that McVeigh felt like that he had to fight his own urges to help come out of the month of November in a better place as much as he needed to figure out ways to get the team winning on the field and on track. So Seth, how does McVeigh pull himself out of this funk? He re-engages and um, he watched press conference videos of Tom Brady, of all people, last year 
Remember the Tampa Bay Bucks ended up, you know, going on a run in December that continued into the playoffs and then they ended up winning the Super Bowl. He goes and watches Tom Brady's post-game press conferences for windows into a champion's mindset and that positive thinking that helped enable them to turn around that team and win it all. And then finally, he met alone with Stafford. And it wasn't a planned meeting. You know, they meet all the time. But they met, and this meeting was different. It ends up being kind of a therapy session where both of them admit and talk about and vent about the pressure that they're feeling at this impasse in their career. Sean McVay feeling the pressure of being a young coach and not living up to his potential. Matthew Stafford, the pressure of coming to L.A. with nothing but a Super Bowl as an expectation. And the fact that he felt that pressure and felt it from all corners and needed to find a way to express that and move past it. And they ended up, McVay told me that it was like a two-hour therapy session. And Matthew Stafford told me that it was one of the greatest conversations he's ever had as a player with a coach, maybe the greatest. And they came out of it in a better place. I'm not saying that it was a catalyst that helped them turn around the entire season, but it it forged it made their bond stronger. They were more than just friends. In a weird way, they were in this bunker together because they had both acknowledged that they were in a bunker. And McVeigh says to Matthew, "Who gives a f- what anybody else says? Let's enjoy this. Let's compete to the best of our ability and let the chips fall where they may." But remember that nobody is going to get more criticism and scrutiny than we are. And it works, right? Because they make it to the Super Bowl. They get a play against Zach Taylor and the Cincinnati Bengals. McVeigh, it means a chance for redemption. Matthew Stafford, it means he can finally win. And they did not squander this opportunity. When McVeigh looks back on that game, Seth, I'm curious, was there one moment where he was finally able just to breathe and relax and he identified, wow, we won this game? Yeah, I sat in his living room and we watched um, the the end of that game. And uh, I asked him, you know, what was going through his mind? And so the Bengals have a fourth and one with 43 seconds left. And you see Sean on the sideline crouched over and he sees a running back split wide. And that was a dead giveaway that the Bengals were going to pass and not run. And in the game, you can watch McVay. He drops his eyes a little bit and he thinks, oh my God. And he says into the headset, Aaron Donald is going to make a play. P-line to the right of Burrow. Less than a yard to gain on fourth down with 43 seconds remaining. Rams creeping. They rush forward. Burrow to throw for it. He's sit. He's hit. He's sacked. He throws it away. He flings it away on fourth down. Aaron Donald got there. Donald takes his helmet off in celebration. And of course, Donald forces an incompletion. And McVeigh kneels and he hugs Stafford. And if you look closely, Stafford taps his leg a couple times. And for some reason, it just triggered something deep in McVeigh. And he finally let go. And he's not someone who cries often. But when he cries, he cries fast. And the tears, you can see it, they dampened his face almost instantly because he finally felt this profound relief. Two hours later, he's in an office in the stadium in a suit, getting ready to go to the team party, and he's alone, and he just, he needs a minute. The Lombardi Trophy is there, and one by one, people start to stop by. Raheem Morris comes by. Matthew Stafford and MVP Cooper Cup stop by. Some of the trainers stop by. Owner Stan Kroenke and his son Josh Kroenke stops by, and they all 
ended up kind of taking a minute and just enjoying this as a small group. And there's a picture that they took and they're all holding up their index finger because, and surrounded by the Lombardi trophy because they finally felt like that they had not only overcome this hurdle and won a Super Bowl, but for McVeigh, he was almost prouder of the way that he and the team came out of November and the fact that he was able to overcome his worst impulses. Coming up, Sean McVay comes to terms with who he needs to be to become who he wants to be. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Seth, a few times in the piece, you use the word sick. McVeigh is too sick to sleep. He has a sickness. What did you mean by that? Well, that's often his word, but he talks about it like the stress of the job and his own internal expectations take on an almost physical quality. And he's not the first coach to deal with that, but it's something that he feels in a major, major way. Um, I asked him to describe it many times and he tried and he tried and he tried. And even as he did, and he used some pretty colorful language, I don't know if he quite captured it. But at one point he did say, he goes, it was just that constant torment hanging right here. And he was touching his stomach. Like you have a problem and you've got to fix it, but you don't know how the to fix it. Nobody puts more pressure on themselves than I do of me. But I think a lot of that pressure is a result of when I lose sight of what matters. If I had listened to the advice I give our players all the time, I would eliminate a lot of our own internal struggles. And I thought that was an interesting thing because Sean is someone who's gotten pretty much great press throughout his career, at least until he lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots. And then that that boy wonder narrative was replaced by the fact that Sean, you know, became another pretty gravestone in Bill Belichick's graveyard. But I think that what he's getting at there is that he needs to remove himself from the equation. I think that he knows that sometimes, both externally and internally, it can 
be more about Sean than he thinks is healthy or even productive. And after they lose a game, those rare losses, because again, he's had nothing but winning seasons in the hardest sport to be a consistent winner at. You know, his his mood is so dark, it's almost atmospheric. Um, his parents get worried about him. His mom, Cindy, would try to talk to him after losses like he would want to be talked to where she would point out key plays, but he was often so upset that he couldn't talk about it. His dad, Tim, would try to you know, offer perspective that the Rams were winning, they were on their way to the playoffs again, and he'd say, Dad, I don't want to f***ing hear it right now. I don't want to hear any pep talks. And then he would eventually calm down as the night went on. He'd hang out with his family. He would, he would thank them for being there. Everybody would go to sleep. And then Cindy and Sean McVay would wake up in the middle of the night because they could hear McVay tiptoeing to his office at 2.30 in the morning, too sick to sleep. This sickness and these emotions that he's experiencing, they seem so common in his industry. Is he the first coach that you've heard speak so publicly about them? It's not. It's not that his problems are necessarily indifferent from other elite coaches, because I think that they're all similarly motivated. But I think that what makes him different is that he's at such a young age trying to figure out ways to make this something that he can live with. Because there is a chance that he might end up being, you know, one of the greatest coaches ever. He has that chance. And he had watched Mike Shanahan in Washington and talked to Bill Belichick and read about Bill Belichick and how they are able to maintain focus for so long watching film. And for him, it's a lot harder than that. People are always interrupting him. His phone is always buzzing. When he answers and replies to texts and emails, it only creates more texts and emails. And to clear his mind, he's had to figure out ways to reset. <laughs> and it's pretty funny, some of the lengths that he goes to do that. He used to go to the sauna because he was like, I can't watch film in here. No one could bother me in the sauna. But then he would bring his phone in the sauna and it turned out the phone worked in the sauna. Oh, that, of course, <laughs> ruined... And it ruined the entire point of the sauna. So now he goes to the steam room where his phones won't work. Not that he hasn't tried. Seth, you've been around the game so long and you've profiled so many influential figures from the players, the quarterbacks, the coaches, executives. I'm curious, in your time with McVay, is there anything from his story that made you reconsider the game of football or maybe just reaffirm what you know about the sport? I think that what crystallized for me during my time with Sean is how so many great people, both that we've watched across sports that I've written about, have made a deal with themselves that they're okay being selfish and allowing that selfishness to permeate beyond themselves and into their family, into their parenting. They need a life that is really all about them. And I think that Sean knows that. He's read all the books, he's watched all the documentaries, he's listened to all the podcasts, he's had beers with Bill Belichick, he obviously learned a lot from Mike Shanahan, he's friends with most coaches around the league, and I think that he recognizes that if he's going to be one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, he's going to have to be okay with the fact that he will have to be ruthlessly selfish. And there's a part of him that doesn't know whether he can do that. 
And there's a self-awareness there that I think is rare, especially for someone at age 36, where he's a young man, but a veteran coach. And I think that that will be the thing to watch going forward with him is whether he can be okay with having a young family and coaching the team the way that he does and putting the hours in the way that he does. Is that sustainable? I don't know, but I think that he's trying to figure out ways to make this life more palatable for not only him, but for a potential family down the road. Seth Wickersham, thank you so much for sharing this story, sharing your time and sharing your insights with us. Always great to talk to you, Emily. I'm Emily Kaplan. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.